Okay, so we're live, oh. just to let you know, whatever you say now is going to be recorded. The red one, you know, but when they put the snow sticks up, the stakes, then you know. Oh, I didn't put mine up yet. Oh, they did it today, they came around. Ours have been up already for two months. Can you believe it? Yes. No, They're really quick on stuff by me. Yeah. No. Okay. Since the weather was good. Well, welcome everybody to today's uh, Lunch and Learn. And today we are going to, as you know, that we begin the uh, new Torah, this new book of the book of Exodus this week. So we'll be talking about as the Jewish people, we now move to the birth of Moses. Last week we finished and discussing about the passing of all the 12 tribes. Joseph actually, I think, died from one of the youngest. He died at 110 years old. Levi was the last of the brothers to die. As soon as Levi died, that's when the enslavement and that's when all the stuff started. With, that's where we begin the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus actually begins by enumerating the 70 uh, descendants or the 12 tribes that were there in the land of Egypt. And from there, the Jewish people populated into the Jewish nation how they became for the next 190 years throughout their slavery. You know, you ever go to any type of event, especially a Jewish event, what is it all surrounded about? Food. 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 You have food in the morning, and you have food in the afternoon, and you have food at night, and then there's food in between, just in case, you know, you ever see by these, they call them by the face programs, you get to a cruise, <laughs> yeah. there's a snack in between the snack, oh, just in case you get room. hungry in between, you get a snack. So there was once this, uh, once one of these cruises, this one of the patrons walks over to the chef and says, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. She says, what's the problem? She says, because every time I eat one of your cookies, I just put on another three pounds. And so he says, uh, they can't wait to get out of here. That, that, how much weight they're getting. But if you think about it, one of the things that if you go into the Barnes and Nobles, or you go on Amazon and you check in the cook, and you check in the book section, what are there the most books on? Oh, Book, cookbooks. Cooking. What's the second to the most books on? Dieting. Vegetarianism. You see, so you have this, this conundrum. There's the same amount of books as there are cookbooks as there are for dieting. And the question is, then we look at our bodies, and is our body our best friend? That we are constantly feeding it and giving it everything it needs, or and it wants, or maybe it doesn't want. But at the same time, our body is something which is a constant reminder that we have to take care of it, and maybe not give it everything we need, or everything at once, and so on. So the question over here is when we look at the body, and when we look at what's going on, where do we create that balance of giving it what it needs, not giving it too much of what it needs, but at the same time understanding and appreciating what each thing is. They used to say the story about an alcoholic. He was realizing that his life was just going down the tubes and decided he's got to fix himself up. He goes to rehab and becomes an unbelievable upstanding citizen he's, because his wife threatened him and says, if you don't go and shape up, that's it, I'm going to divorce you. <laughs> and finally, he's every single day he's been clean, one year, a second year, but all of a sudden one day he's really tempted. And you understand, he has such a temptation for the uh, alcoholic, so he goes, he starts to go, he wakes up in the middle of the night, he sneaks out of the house, he's walking down the street, and he's about to go to the nearby bar and he holds himself back and goes back home. 
as he walks into his house, he looks at himself as he walks into the entrance, a big beautiful mirror, and he says, wow, I'm so powerful. I was able to hold myself in from going to the bar and everything else. I really deserve a good cup of whiskey. <laughs> so, the, when we talk about it, which way is it? Which way do we actually deal with our body? Is it total um, subservience to the body and giving it whatever it wants? Or do we avoid the body completely? And the way we're going to look at it today is in this week's Torah reading, that for some reason, if we look at throughout Jewish history, Jewish history has some type of fantasy with donkeys. What do I mean by that? If you think about it, Abraham, what did he use as his vehicle to get him to the Mount Moriah, to, to the Akeda, to the bonding of Isaac, was a donkey. Moses, in this week's Torah reading, how does he get his children and family to Egypt? What does it say? He's taking them on a donkey. Then go to the end of days, it says Mashiach is going to become riding on a donkey. What is it about a donkey? They couldn't find some nice Cadillac, Rolls Royce, BMW, something. What is it? They didn't have any. Uh, they say Mashiach is going to come on a donkey. Why well, can't come in some type of nice sport uh, Porsche or something like that? What is it all about a donkey? So not only that, we don't want to make fun of donkeys, God forbid. But if you look at donkeys, they're not the most swift animal out of all creations that God created. I wouldn't pick the donkey to say, wow, this is God's beauty is in the donkey. In fact, if you want to talk about getting from place A to place B, you'd probably want to use a horse, a mule, a camel, or anything of the other things. Um, and why, what is it that Judaism continues to use this donkey? Even more so. Then we go a little bit further. Some of the commentaries want to explain and even say that a donkey, if you look at the actual name donkey in general in Hebrew, when people want to curse at somebody, they'll say, you're a chamor, you're a donkey. What does it mean? Because the donkey is the most foolish of all animals. And therefore it's called chamor, which comes from the word chomer, which means just a form, nothing to it. It's just an actual block. It's like, boom, you know, there's nothing to it. A block. It's a block. So there's nothing there. But still in all we see that in Judaism, and from a Jewish perspective, almost Judaism are all from donkeys. So what is it? Not only that, as we see very clearly in this week's Torah, reading that Moshe rides his uh, wife and children on the donkey. And Rashi comes along and says, and you know what he says? It's not just the donkey. In fact, Rashi comes along and says that this donkey that Moshe put his children on is the exact same donkey that Abraham used, that, Avra, that, that Moshe uses, and that Mashiach is going to use. So you can imagine that this donkey is not just a good old-fashioned donkey, but it's a really old senior donkey. But who is this donkey? The interesting thing you'll find, that not only do Jewish people use donkeys, Bilam the prophet, when he wants to go and curse the Jewish people, what does he take? A female donkey. The difference is that he uses a female donkey, while the Jewish people use the male donkey. It is actually, Kabbalah explains the Maral, talks about the difference of why we find by Avram Moshe Mashiach it's a male donkey, and by Bilam is a female donkey because he was giving to the sources of energy of, uh, of impurity and therefore was the female donkey which was receiving while the other one was giving. It's a whole separate discussion on its own. But we see something very interesting. That all these great people, Abraham, uh, Moses, Moshiach, all of them were all about the donkey, using the special donkey. In fact, one of the interesting questions that come about, and we'll mention it soon, is that the, the Evan Ezra asks, 
Why is it that Moshe takes a donkey and who does he put on his donkey? He puts a wife, a child. His wife is, uh, had just had, gave birth to a baby boy at the time. She just had a baby. Puts three people on one donkey. You ever saw how big a donkey is? Where is he squeezing so many people on one donkey? Why did he have to put them all on the donkey? But if you take Rashi's commentary that he says that the reason why Moses specifically used the donkey was because it was Abraham's donkey, you can understand why he put them all specifically on that donkey. So, interestingly enough, there are some that explain, and that another interesting concept about this donkey business is that when we talk about the donkey, <clears throat> why is it that the donkey is picked out of all animals? As we mentioned once before, there's a story that happened, I think we mentioned it last week, Talmai HaMelech, on Ches Tevis, on the 8th of Tevis, Talmai HaMelech, was a Roman king during the time of the Second Temple, brought 71 scholars into, a, into put them into different chambers, and wanted that they should translate the Torah. And his whole point of translating the Torah is to show inconsistencies in the Torah, because if each one's going to translate it, you'll see each one has a different interpretation, and you'll see, look, the Torah is not true. God made him a miracle, and exactly the same way. Each one of them gave the exact same interpretation in the Torah. The, to the extent that there were certain... Now, one of the things that he wanted, he wanted to show inaccuracies in the Torah. So, for example, if you take the first verse, if you translate it literally, the first verse is voracious in the beginning, Baro created Elohim, God. So what does it sound like? In the beginning created God, not God created in the beginning. And all of them translated it into Elohim, Baro, Bereshis, God created in the beginning. But all of them did exactly the same thing. So one of the places where they actually changed, that they changed the translation, when it comes to a donkey, they put it all, they made it into a camel of something of that nature. And the reason is because they wanted to show that they were going on a very prestigious, you know, who, which king did you ever find rides on a donkey? David went on a mule, or any other king that you find throughout history went on horses, on camels, even Isaac. When he went, when Rebecca was brought up, the Ezra was all camels. So why the donkey? And one of the things that we find, in fact, as I mentioned before, the Ebenezer asks the question, why did he, how did he put them all on one donkey? But when we go back to Rashi's interpretation and says that the concept of the donkey was because the donkey was a specific donkey. It was the donkey, the same donkey from Abraham, the same donkey to Moses, and the same donkey to Moshiach then we have a better understanding of why they were so particular in using the donkey. The question is still begs, why a donkey? What's so behind this donkey and what's so important about the donkey? So let's, step number one, let's talk about the age of the donkey. Mm -hmm. If we say it's the same donkey, this donkey may, must have been really old. Because if you're talking about from the time of Abraham, all the way until Moses, and then go, that's about 500 years, and then all the way until Mashiach, is another, until Mashiach comes. So, how is it possible that this same donkey is going to be when the time Mashiach comes? If it comes today, it'll be 3,700 years old. It's a little old for a donkey. So, the morale of Prague, which is Rabbi Yehuda Lowy, explains and says that it's not exactly the same donkey, but it's the symbolic concept behind the donkey. And doesn't mean that that same exact donkey will last it forever. But there are those that explain, and our fathers, when God created the universe, it says in chapter 5, that there were certain things that were created right before Shabbat. It says the mouth of the well, the mouth that swallowed Korach into the ground, and the mouth of the donkey that was there by Bilam. 
Some want to suggest, and in fact there's a Talmudic commentator that explains, that this donkey that Abraham used was a son of the donkey, of that donkey that was created at the eve of Shabbat. Now think of this. Because the donkey was created at that time, the Talmud says, the Medrash says, that when the sin of the tree of knowledge happened, Chava, Eve gave from the fruit of the tree of knowledge to all the things, to all the creations. That's why all the creations are now suffer with the consequences, which is that they have death. Death came about because of the sin of tree of knowledge. Now, if all of the creations and creatures had from this uh, and had from this fruit, so therefore they would have to die eventually. The only one that did not have it were those things that were created right by twilight, right before Shabbat, which was this donkey. So this donkey did not taste from the tree of knowledge. Because this donkey didn't taste from the tree of knowledge, her child, the Hamor, the donkey as well that Abraham used, did not taste from the tree of knowledge. Because it didn't taste from the tree of knowledge now, it's not subject to death. So it's very possible that you can even say literally that that a donkey is still around. But the bottom line is, why the donkey? So we're back to all the different interpretations. If I say it's the same donkey, it's not the same donkey, or if it is a donkey, what? but why a donkey? And the Rebbe gives the following explanation and based on the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. That the word donkey over here has a much deeper meaning than just the actual donkey. And if we look at the actual deeper meaning of what this donkey is all about, we come to a better understanding how each one of them are connected and related to the ideas of Avraham, Moshe, and Moshiach. What is a donkey? The word donkey in Hebrew is made up of the word chamor. Ches, mem, vav, resh. The Baal Shem Tov explains that donkey doesn't only mean chamor, but as we sort of explained before, that the word, why is the donkey called chamor? Because it's only made of a substance. It doesn't have anything to it. The word chomer comes from the word a substance, an idea, is something. Chomer is ches vav memresh. If you take the mem and the vav and you switch it around, instead of chamor being a donkey, it becomes chomer, becomes a substance. What does that mean? Each one of us, Every single thing that exists in this world is, exists from a physical substance that we're made of. Our body is a chomer. There's the chomer of the materialistic item. The materialistic part of us is called chomer. The Baal Shem Tov used to talk about how a person sees, if it says in the book of Leviticus that when a person sees a donkey of his friend lying on the side of the road, he should not ignore it. What does it mean, the donkey of his friend? He calls it thing you see that your physical existence which is lying on the road, meaning not being taken care of and not being managed, and it has to be assisted and uplifted and made into spiritual as well. When we look at the world around us, there are two ways how people look at the world. We look at the world as we see, you know, nobody, you, people just delve and indulge in every materialistic thing. As the very famous American adage, enjoy today for tomorrow you die, just live and enjoy, just eat. Eat today because tomorrow you die. Just eat as much as you can. Whatever it is, just, just enjoy life. Right? Don't worry about anything. And you indulge into materialism as much as possible. But then, there's another. There's the opposite way. Also not in a Jewish perspective, which is asceticism. For example, in other religions, the clergy, they don't get married. 
they're officially fast for many days, whatever it may be. Total asceticism, in order to be able to connect with spirituality, they have to leave the physical behind, they have to leave the materialistic matter. So over here you have two extremes. Either one that's complete indulgence, try out every single matter, or complete Absolutely. neglect, abstinence from it, leaving it alone. And which one is it? And over here Judaism comes along and tells us it's neither of the above. On the opposite. On one hand, we don't let go of materialism, but on the other hand, we don't indulge in materialism. Meaning, we don't allow materialistic physical life to control our life. I am not controlled by the materialistic ideas or by the things that are in front of me. The way we deal with materialism is not an easy way. It is like an in-and-out approach. We use it, but we also have to use it for the right purpose. We eat, but we have to eat for the right purpose. We have to thank God before we eat. We have to thank God after we eat. We have to eat it for special reasons. We eat only special foods. The same idea is when it comes that every single aspect of our life, as materialistic as it may be, has to be dedicated and focused on something spiritual. So what does it mean when we're given the Jewish person has that errand to be able to deal with his donkey, to deal with his, with his, with his issues or that he may have, when we look at each one of them, every single one of those donkeys and every single one of those episodes that Abraham, Moshe, and Moshiach teach us another level of how to, go, how to work with the system. Just to give you a little example, this is a true story, in fact, about a woman who um, she was very overweight and she was looking to, to go on a diet. And no diet she tried was going to work. And she went to the doctors, to the special dietitians and everything else, and they said, diet's not good for you, you have to go for surgery and everything else. She didn't want to do a surgery. She said, I'm going to do a diet. And she went on a diet. She had a coach. You know, every time that she would be, um, every time she would, let's say, so to speak, want to eat something, she would call the, call the person, the person would help her and go through it and so on. And she was able, that she was able to shed 80 kilos. She was able to go half her weight, and she, because of her stubbornness and everything else. She belonged to a shul that they had, that she was part of the rotation that would take her to Kiddush. She was on the Kiddush committee in her shul. There comes one shulis, and her job was for the Kiddush committee to pick up all the refreshments for the shulis, morning, breakfast, after davening, all the dairy foods that they were going to serve for shulis. She's going to the, she's going to the bakery, she loads up her car, and it's full of all delicious baked goods, fresh, and the car is smelling, and I'm sure you can understand the smell of the challah, the cheesecake, the cheese date, everything that's there, the blintzes. And she all of a sudden says, I gotta have some of it. But she knows that if I'm gonna start, it's not gonna stop. What does she do? She pulls over to the side of the road, she wants to have some. So she calls up her coach and says, listen here, I'm in a, I'm in a car full of pastries. I'm tempted. <laughs> I want this, and I don't, can't hold myself back. The coach tells her, go into the store and buy some vegetables and with a dressing and eat some of it, and like this you won't be hungry, so you won't come to eat it. She says, you tell me, I'm going to have some broccoli instead of a cheese danish. It's not going to work. I know what a cheese danish is like. I know what those pastries are good, and that's it. Hey. So she keeps on driving, and all of a sudden she sees a kosher deli. She runs inside, she buys a hot dog, she bites into half of it, and that's it. She can't eat any of the stuff now. Mm -hmm. Temptation oh, oh, oh. Temptation gun. What does she find? It's a hot dog, some meat stuff. Oh, and now she can't eat the dairy. <laughs> so now her temptation is gone. 
That was good. The amputation's gone. But what was it? What all of a sudden she was tempted by it. Her physical dimension wanted. But because she had Judaism as a guide of her life, exactly. the kosher automatically stopped all of a sudden. What do you mean? She doesn't want the cheese Danish anymore. She wanted it now. But her body was so trained that she was able to hang that if I have milk, I automatically I don't want meat anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not even a temptation. Yeah, and that's if I have meat, I can't have milk anymore, whatever it may be. The bottom line is it automatically stopped that temptation because this is what Judaism teaches us. It's not about destroying the temptation, it's about governing the temptation. It's about discipline. It's about discipline. It's not about destroying the matter, it's not about destroying the body, it's about controlling the body. It's about governing it and putting it in the right perspective. There was a, once this fellow, I'm sure you heard his name, there was a... Um, uh, he was a sculptor, very famous sculptor. His name was Jack Lipschitz. He was a French-American sculptor, world-renowned. And the Rebbe had a lot of correspondence with him, encouraging him to do his art. And the Rebbe told him that a person that has a talent has to utilize his talent, and even to the extent after he passed, the Rebbe wrote a letter to his wife that she should finish, because she was also an artist, to finish the sculptures that her husband started. And the Rebbe explained to him, saying that a sculpture, the concept of an artist and sculpture is that you're exactly what Judaism's mission is, to take a matter, which is an empty form, and design it, and create it, and make something beautiful out of it. God gives us a canvas, and he says, paint. God gives us our body, gives us our, the world, and says, make something out of it. I want you to make something out of it. This is your, and no two people's pictures look alike. And no two people's lives look alike. And therefore you can't say, well, that person did this, so therefore I should be doing that. Because each one of our matters, each one of our own bodies are different, and we have to shape it and form it and deal with it and govern it differently than every person. Every person has their nuances, their quirks, their addictions, their issues that no two people are alike. And therefore, when we talk about the concept over here, comes now, let's look at Abraham and all of these people, and we look at the stories, and we look at each one of them, we have to say, what's going on over here? What's this donkey? Is this donkey holiness? Is this donkey holiness? Can I use this donkey? So you have to first of all realize and understand that the donkey is not your enemy. Meaning that your matter, your physical, your, your materialism is not your enemy. It's not completely bad. On the contrary, it needs education. It needs forming. It needs to mature. You have to be able to bring out the best in it. And when you bring out, when you connect it with holiness, automatically then, you'll be able to bring out the holiness that exists in it. So let's look at Avram. Avram lived in a time, the first Jew in history. He lived in a time when the world was at its ultimate low, right after the flood, right after the, the world was just cleansed from the most horrific type of immorality that existed. And over here, the world was at a stage where idolatry was at its greatest. They were looking to see, to look to mend and to go to any type of idolatry. What did Avram have to come along and he had to say, you know what? He took the donkey and said, let's go. You're not staying here at home. You're coming with me to the bonding of Isaac. What was Avram saying? That you're going to be a part of holiness. He used it as a tool to be able to bring holiness into this world. But it wasn't holy yet enough that he can ride in it or that he can use it for something. He used it for his tools. The fire went on it. The wood went on it. All the tools, he used it as an accessory to holiness. The moment he used it as an accessory to holiness, he took the matter, he took this donkey, which is symbolic of the materialism of the world, and said, I can make materialism an accessory of holiness. 400 years pass. Moses comes. 
and he's now on his way down to Egypt. He's getting ready for the giving of the Torah. All of a sudden, Moses, what does he do? Moses takes it a step further. He puts his wife and children on the donkey. Because it's not, not the suitcases. His wife and children on the donkey, and he puts them as he marches with joy, following what God told him. Meaning, he himself, that means the donkey itself has not been completely transformed, but now it's on its way of refinement. I'm able to take it a step further where the wife and children, the accessories to the mitzvah, can already ride on this donkey. Mashiach comes on a level where the entire universe is already completely transformed. The materialism has now become spiritual. The dung, excuse me, the donkey itself becomes holy. The donkey itself now becomes the donkey of Mashiach. Meaning that the donkey itself is something which is an accessory, not only an accessory, but it becomes something of holiness. This is what we talk about, the time of the coming of Moshiach. Because in the time of the coming of Moshiach, the actual materialistic world becomes a spiritual world. That means, in past, when it was Avram, what did Avram first have to do? The first thing Avram had to do was fight the evil. Show evil what it is and show that something that can be used for spirituality. That everything in this world is a medium for spirituality. A step further comes Moshe and says, not only can it be used, but I'm already on the step of refining it to be used. Moshiach comes and that's its ultimate test. Ultimate challenge and ultimate revelation is transforming it. We see the same thing as also, take a story that happened in the book of, in the book of Genesis early on. Abraham calls over his son, his servant Eliezer and says, I need to find a shidduch for my son Yitzhak. I need to find a match for Yitzhak. I want you to go and bring back a girl from my family that should marry Yitzhak. What does he tell him first? He tells him, I want you to put your hand on my thigh to promise you're going to do it. Why by your thigh? Because that should be close to the place of the circumcision because that was the mitzvah that God gave him. Today, according to Jewish law, when a person makes an oath, they used to take a Torah, they had to hold something concrete of a mitzvah. What was the only concrete mitzvah that Abraham had? Mm. Was the meal, was the circumcision. Every other mitzvah was on his own. The only mitzvah that God commanded him to do was circumcision. What's the difference? The story is told about King David. That King David was once in the bathhouse. And he was getting undressed. And he says, Oi, I have no mitzvah, son. And then he looked down and he saw that he had circumcision... And he had a mitzvah. The question is, what does it mean he had circumcision with him? Circumcision was done when he was eight days old. Well, how is that that he had a mitzvah with him? The mitzvah was done already. And the answer is because once circumcision is done, the entire body of the person becomes holy. God takes that limb, which can be the biggest cause for the opposite of holiness, and transforms it by circumcision, saying that now this becomes holy. The absolute transformation of something materialistic to make it holy, only God can do himself. And that happened with the giving of the Torah. And this is what we talk about where we see the, the possibility that every person has the ability to actually transform his body to become an absolute conduit of spirituality. Take your chamor, take your donkey, your chomer, your nothingness, your matter, which is seemingly nothing there, and make it into something. And that's through training ourselves with that spiritual ambitions, like that case. Like when you're not tempted by the McDonald's, you're not tempted by it because it's not something that you even want. You don't even get it, you don't care about it. Why? Because your body is so trained, it's not even on the radar. I'm not even anxious about it. 
I'm not saying, oh, yeah, it's a shame I can't have it. I don't even want it. Why? Because it's not in your radar. They say a story, to take it even a step further, just to give you an example, you know, because I always say, there's so many McDonald's, Wendy's, you go down the block, there's like a dime a dozen of how many places to eat at. Never even tempted by it. Why? Because we condition ourselves that these are not places for us. So it's not even a question. There's a story during the war, during World War II, there was a very great chassid. He actually came to America and then went back to, went back to Poland, or to Russia actually, because he couldn't tolerate the indulgence of materialism of Americans. Hmm. His name was Ichad de Masmid, a very holy Jew, um, to the extent that when he was in America, the previous Rebbe said that you can give him a pound, you can give him a letter of blessing. And that's how he was an unbelievably holy Jew. He was a very particular in how he did Torah and mitzvahs. He was very God-fearing to every single minute detail. His whole life was about loving and serving God. You saw a person who was just reflected a godly emotion. Um, and he was neat, particular, everything, in every single way. Plus, he had an unbelievable way of expressing and explaining the greatest details of Hasidism. So, during the war, there was, uh, in the city that they lived, there was a place called Kherson in Ukraine, and there were two bakeries. One bakery that was owned by one Jew, and another bakery that was owned by another Jew. They were both God-fearing Jews, but one was, if you want to call it, a little more religious than the other. And this Rebbe de Masmin would only eat from the bread from the bakery from one, one of them. He wouldn't take it from the others. The war was coming, the starvation setting again. There was only one bakery left, and it wasn't the one that he would eat from. One day comes, he doesn't eat. The second day comes, he doesn't eat, because he wouldn't eat from the other bakery. Comes the third day, they saw the students saw that he's not eating. So they went to the bakery, to the other bakery. First they tried going to one, but it was too dangerous and whatever, so they went to the other bakery and they were going to get him a piece of bread. They bring him the piece of bread. So he asks them, which bakery is it from? They saw him, it's from the bakery usually, which it wasn't. It was kosher, but he said, he says, you sure it's from that bakery? He says, yeah, we're sure it's from that bakery. Are you positive it's from that bakery? It's positive it's from that bakery. Okay, if you're sure and you're positive, and the guy lied, of course, because he wanted him to eat. And hence to prepare himself to eat his bread, and to him just washing his hands wasn't just a regular ordeal, it was a whole preparation. And by the time he gets ready to eat the bread, all of a sudden the bread fell on the floor and then he wasn't able to eat it. He was so conditioned to be able to eat something, which was only that he could, even though for him it was a high level that he kept at. But that was the high level that he kept at. That was his condition. That that's, and that's the way his life was conditioned. He was able to transform his body to make itself that it should be able to be conditioned to such a spiritual level. This is what we talk about in life. We see, you know, I always say, people say, I need this. You need it or you want it. There's a big difference between our needs and our wants. And many times we create our needs become our wants or our wants become our needs. Even more so where our wants become our needs. And they're not necessarily because we t actually want it. And that's where the blurred of the line, and that's where all of a sudden the Hasidism teaches us and tells us that what's allowed, is al what's not allowed, you definitely not allowed to have. And what's allowed, you don't have to have. It's the question is, why am I having this? For what purpose? What does this achieve? And when we refine ourselves and understand and appreciate and say, yes, we have to eat it. Like they used to tell them, was eating you have to. Who says you have to enjoy it? 
<laughs> there was one say there was once a chassid his name was Remendel Futterfass and he came to America he came to America he was doing he was a fundraiser he would go around to different places and he comes to his host gives him a meal a beautiful dinner that they and this and the uh, the person that served him told him in Hebrew Avon, like with appetite he looks at him what you should eat it and enjoy it also I'm eating it because I have to live I have to survive you want me to enjoy it <laughs> So we talk about, you know, the same idea when we talk about the Chaymer, we talk about the item of understanding and appreciating, is to be able to uplift the body to the level, to the appreciation, not to beat up the body. And this is the interesting thing that many people ask many times, what's the difference between Hasidus and Musar? There were two schools of thought. And one, which both were about a spiritual um, achievement and both about spiritual change. But one was called Hasidus, and Musar was stemmed all the way back from the Golden, but was revived by Rabbi Israel Salanter. But what was the main school of difference? Hasidus taught us how you have to take the body and not beat it up, but use it as a conduit and as a tool to be able to achieve the greater spiritual status. That means use the food that you're eating and elevate it. Musar was about abandonment beating up the body, fasting, and uh, 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 fighting the negativity. And what we saw, greater especially in our times and our ages, is to beat something up, eventually you're going to get tired of beating it up. And what happens? It comes back. So, okay, today I knock it down, tomorrow I knock it down, but, but if you haven't changed the substance, you know, haven't accomplished anything. And therefore, the Baal the way the Rebbe used to explain it was, let's say a doctor, you have two approaches to medicine. There's one approach to medicine, you get sick and then you take antibiotics to fight it. Eventually, the body builds up and you take antibiotics and it doesn't take the antibiotics. But if you do preventative medicine, then you have a proper diet and you take the proper vitamins and you'll be able to live a healthy life, then you never get sick to begin with. Hasidism is that method to be able to treat the body. And this is what the Baal tells us. This is what the Chamor is and this is what Avram started. The Moshe continued, the Moshiach is all about. Is to create a body that is healthy, spiritually and physically. And the same idea is what our job is. And that's where we come to the end. There's a big argument between Maimonides and Nachmanides and what the coming of Mashiach is going to look like. Maimonides says that the coming of Mashiach is going to be a time and a place where, yes, the tzaddikim are going to come back and it's going to be the resurrection. But after that, it's only going to be souls. Nachmanides says on the contrary. It's going to be the resurrection. All souls will come back into bodies and will have eternal life in a physical body in this world. And we know that the halacha, that we usually go according to Nachmanides. And the reason is, and maybe ask, what, what do you mean? What's the whole point of being back in a body? If the body is not going to be sustained by physical anyways, mm-hmm. why be in a body? Because this is exactly the whole point of Mashiach. The whole point of Mashiach is that our physical body should be sustained by spirituality. Just like Adam and Eve before the sin of the tree of knowledge. Bringing back the world to its ultimate perfection. What did Adam and Eve do with the sin of the tree of knowledge? Because they ate from the sin of the tree of knowledge, that caused that there should be a certain element in this world which disregards the body or elevates the body over spirituality. And therefore people started fantasizing more about their body than about spirituality. They were giving more credit to the matter than to the soul that creates the matter. What is Mashiach all about? We come to recognize that the matter and the soul, they both work in tandem. But the soul transforms the matter, not the matter transforms into the soul. And that's the ultimate. Abraham started this with the first donkey. When he put those wood and fire on the donkey, 
Moshe continued by taking his donkey and putting his children on the donkey. It's all the same donkey. What does it mean, the same donkey? It's the same matter, the same materialism. Moshiach eventually develops and cultivates the materialism, and it becomes absolute spirituality on its own. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.